You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We're starting a new sermon series called Identity, Discovering Who We Are in the Gospel of John. It's the question of who am I? Why am I here? Um, Am I my intellect? Am I my ethnic background? Am I my mistakes? Am I my history? Am I my work record? Who am I? Our culture actually is consumed by this today. Um, Questions of identity, authenticity, you might hear that word, being true to yourself, finding yourself, expressing yourself, discovering the real you, you know, you've heard it all probably, right? Um, So John Hoyam writes this. He says, the modern world that most people reluctantly enjoy, notice that, we reluctantly enjoy this world. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good, but, you know, gosh, there's something not quite right. Even though, man, I would not want to go back and live in the 50s or the 40s or or any other place or any other time. There's something not quite right. He goes on, though. Um, We reluctantly enjoy living in one marked by a great controversy about identity, race, gender, class, and all other items of human self-identification are in the forefront of public conversation because people recognize that who I am is the most important question one must answer. It defines human beings in their most fundamental features. So today, we're looking at this, and we're going to be doing this in the Gospel of John in the weeks to come as we work through different one-on-one conversations that show different aspects of this idea of identity. And today we're looking at Nathaniel. He occurs here in chapter 1 of John. Let's read along. And by the way, you can follow along with the version of the Bible app and all the notes to today's message as well. Okay? So John 1, 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? (laughs) Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So in um, an article called, Is Authenticity Overrated? You can kind of guess his understanding of that. Uh, Thomas Chamorro writes, We often hear the most important thing in life, and particularly in our careers, is to be our true selves, or true to ourselves. Although few have bothered explaining what this actually means. This advice highlights a number of related popular ideas, such as, don't worry, so much about what other people think of you. If you think you're great, you probably are. Just be yourself. Spending too much time or energy thinking about what others expect of you leads to mindless conformity. 
Follow your intuition. It's likely a better moral compass than any other socially fabricated cultural rule. Have you heard this kind of advice before? Are you taking this kind of advice? I hope sort of not, okay? I get trying to be true to yourself and all of that, but man, my true self is not necessarily the thing that I should be following. Just to say, just to say. Uh, Nathaniel, in some ways, probably was following this kind of advice, okay, in our text. He was being his authentic self. As Jesus said about him, hey, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And by the way, the word deceit here is the Greek word dolos, which means either subtlety. So in other words, Nathaniel was blunt. <laughs> Have you been around people who are blunt? What, you're looking at each other? I don't think you're, what? You're blunt? I haven't noticed that, actually. He's a counselor, by the way, so that would be kind of dangerous to be too blunt with people. Although he's in a, a little, once in a while, it's good. Yeah. Okay, another word, uh, or deceit, or trickery. And this will come back up later with another biblical reference at the end of this passage that I think is fascinating. In other words, Nathaniel, he probably just spoke whatever he thought or felt. He was no diplomat, he was no politician, but the question was, was he really being his authentic self is always a question. Because here's the deal with authenticity, by the way. We want it in everybody else. We want them to be truly who they are so that we know who we're dealing with. And yet, um, no one really is, okay? No one really is, not the way God intended you to be. In fact, studies have shown that the people who are the most authentic, you know who the most authentic people who don't care about anybody else and what they think of them? You know who they are in our society? Any guesses? Well, no, psychopaths. Celebrities and psychopaths, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but seriously, right? They're being who they are. They're not letting anybody get in the way of that. Um, we might see, I think, somebody who kind of fits into that category on campus. It's the street preacher that comes, right? He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And if you've ever seen him there, it's like, whoa, something's not quite aligned, okay? Not sure what. Also, hey, there's a Harvard sociologist um, named Mazarin Banaji, and she and her collaborators have collected data on over 3 million self-administered web-based tests. And what they, she has found is that our authentic selves across the board are actually bigoted selves, okay? We have all, at our core, many implicit prejudices about race, gender, age, sexuality, and appearance. I notice that sometimes in my, I look at people and go like, and I make judgments about them just like that. That's my authentic self. So much for that. And that's why I, I quoted this before, Miroslav Volf, and I think it deserves a quote here again. He says, the Bible presumes a centered self more precisely, a wrongly centered self that needs to be decentered by being nailed to the cross. And this is exactly what I think is happening subtly, but profoundly in this passage about Nathaniel and Jesus. That Nathaniel and his 
Pride in his authenticity, his sincerity, his speaking the truth gets decentered from that because he's finding too much of his identity in how great he is at being truthful. And he gets decentered by Jesus. And we see it in two different movements in this passage. First of all, the idea of scandal and skepticism at front. And then secondly, it's shock and awe. So we're going to look at these two and how Nathaniel has changed through his scandal and skepticism and then how he has shock and awe at the end. Scandal and skepticism comes out when, you know, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Okay. Can anything good? Philip doesn't even argue with him. Did you notice that? All Philip does is say, come and see. Because Philip probably knows Nathaniel pretty well and knows, uh, quite bluntly, don't argue with this man. He always thinks he's right. He speaks what he says. Just, he's stubborn. You know anybody like that? You're probably looking at one, you know. Um, and so um, you may have friends. You may have uh, coworkers. You may have relatives that is like, don't even try to rationally debate or argue with, right? The best thing you can do is just invite them. Like, um, there may be people that go like, oh, Christianity is ah, blah, 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 you know? And it's just like, just say, come on. Come to the barbecue this Wednesday. See what it's like. Come, come, uh, come and see what we're like. Just experience it once or twice, and you might find something different. Anyway, so Nathaniel actually um, is right about Nazareth. It was nothing of a place. Um, it was stuck in this area in Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee. And actually, this is an area of Israel in the first century that the, uh, rabbi, the, the rabbis and the Pharisees kind of despaired of Galilee because it was mixed between Gentiles and Jews, and they couldn't get a decent haharim together, which is their, um, their kind of school of study. And they struggled with this because it's like, oh, this place is just backwaters. Jerusalem was where it was at. And of all the places up there, Nazareth was like the middle of nowhere, small town life. If you want to kind of translate it a little today, Nazareth would be a place where you'd expect Honey Boo Boo and her family to live, okay? And I know that's a little old of a reference, but I didn't want to pick on anybody too close to home. But, you know, it's kind of... Um, so... Nathaniel's right about Nazareth, but he is totally wrong about God at the same time. Nathaniel assumes that God is all about power, glory, the limelight, how wonderful places. I think, you know, God would never show up to Nazareth. Why would he spend time there? But one of the great themes of the Bible is that's exactly where God shows up again and again. He comes to all these odd people, broken people, weak people, people that have been cast out and to nowheresvilles all over the place. In fact, let's look like Moses, one of the greatest figures of the Old Testament, and yet... Moses, when God encounters with him, he's in the middle of the wilderness. He's a broken man. He's lost his entire heritage adopted at one time into the family, into the house of Pharaoh. He's lost it all. He's out with sheep 
And that's when God encounters him. Elijah, Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament beyond Moses, and yet when God encounters him, he is a broken man, spent, emotionally exhausted, wanting to give up his own life, and God then meets him with a still, small voice. Or you can find someone like Ruth, who, when she was widowed, she is a foreigner, a Moabitist, and she comes into Israel on the heels of her mother-in-law, or they didn't have heels probably. Well, they have heel heels, but not heels. But anyways, she comes in with her mother-in-law. She has nothing to her name. She's a widow in a foreign country in her mind, and yet God chooses her to be in the line of David, and therefore the line of the Messiah. Do you see how this is working in the Old Testament? Nathaniel's totally wrong. He's expecting God to show up at Jerusalem, not Nazareth. I think we've got this problem today as well. You know, and maybe it's because I'm a pastor of a mission congregation here in a campus ministry, in an area that some people think is wonderful and other people think is just kind of podunk, you know. Well, it's not the big city. It's not the most fun. And we don't have a big church with, flat, you know, no fog machines. What's wrong? I can't worship here. <laughs> this is where God shows up. He may show up elsewhere, but don't expect him to be in the spectacular. Think about just this instance. Why was Jesus from Nazareth? Because Mary was from Nazareth. (laughs) And Mary and Joseph in Nazareth had Jesus and Here's the scandal with all of this and the skepticism. Mary and Joseph, we know from the Gospel of Luke, when they came to dedicate the baby Jesus at the temple, they brought the poorest of the poor offering for it. I think a couple pigeons. So it means God did not choose a family that was well off. God did not choose a family that was sophisticated. God chose the poor of the poor in a backwater place to do his greatest work of all. Nazareth. Yeah, and Mary and Joseph. And just think of the scandal. I don't know if we've kind of grasped the scandal here. Mary was probably between 12 and 14 years of age when the angel tells her she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Try to explain that to your fiancé, right? Once he even accepts that as reality, he knows, though Nazareth tends to be backwaters and unsophisticated, everybody in Nazareth can count. And even if he marries Mary immediately, they can figure out, oh, yep, that baby came a little too soon. Something was up. Talk about scandal. God chooses that scandal in the middle of history. No wonder Mary and Joseph say, hey, let's go to Bethlehem. We don't mind going to Bethlehem because, you know, hey, we got to get out of here when we have this baby, at least for a while. So what is Christianity all about? Is that God's glory comes in the most unusual small places, not luxury hotels, but mangers, and not thrones, but crosses. 
into the lives of broken people. That's where heaven opens up. Nathaniel, true to human nature, true to his authentic self, thinks God's glory is going to show up in glorious places. But God doesn't reserve himself for that. And this isn't just true. Nathaniel could have known this from his scriptures as well. For the prophet Isaiah said it 700 years before Nathaniel. In Isaiah 57, he said, For thus says the one, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah said, yeah, God is great and awesome, but this is what God chooses to do. And by the way, the word for lowly spirit here in the Hebrew is shafal. I think it's the next slide. Yeah, I know. You'd, you'd know what that word, how it sounds, right? <laughs> shafal, of course. Shafal, which means to not, oh, pious. It doesn't mean, oh, wonderfully nice. It means abased, humbled, low, in subjection. In other words, it's not somebody who is so nice and humble and kind of thinks. It's somebody who's been pushed down, kicked down, ostracized, pushed out, stepped upon, dismissed. That's who God chooses again and again in the scriptures. Nathaniel's skepticism about Jesus coming from Nazareth says so much about Nathaniel. It says that Nathaniel was placing too much of his identity in his personal sincerity and uprightness. It's kind of funny. Jesus kind of caught him. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying it in any way sarcastic, although I think there are times in the Bible when Jesus talks about like the log coming out of an eye. That's a little humor and sarcasm. But Jesus said, hey, here's somebody who has no deceit, basically no filters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just says it like it is. And you see Nathaniel, how do you know me? I mean, it's like he doesn't even, like he can't even filter. Oh, well, you know, he just speaks it out. He has based his identity too much on himself, on his pedigree, on his place, and on his idea of trying to gain more. Now, how many of you have been watching the TV series, uh, The Chosen? You have? Okay, a few of you. There's a scene in it. I, I would recommend watching it, okay? You can do it. You can stream it for free. You can download the app. There's two seasons of it. We're going to watch a short video clip about Nathaniel specifically in this and how it works. Now, to kind of set it up a little now, The Chosen... Um, takes the scriptures, and I think they, they add um, a potential backstory to a lot of things to connect the piece. Nothing contradicting anything in the Gospels, but what they do is they add kind of a different layer so it makes a little more like, oh, that's why Jesus was saying this or what was going on. And I'm not saying that, that their interpretation of that is always right, but it does add some real color and character. So Nathaniel, we don't know any of this from the New Testament, but in The Chosen, Nathaniel is an architect. Okay? And he, his pride is in his construction of buildings and all this stuff until one day when his building collapses and kills a couple people. 
And then he's in despair and goes under a fig tree. So we're going to pick up that at that point in time and, um, and listen to this uh, and watch this right now. Hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Do not hide your face from me. Do you see me? Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful, and Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite, and whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you 
I saw you under the fig tree. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. <laughs> because I said to you, I saw you under the victory, you believe? <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Good. I know you like to be clear. It was precisely, precisely when Nathan, uh, Nathaniel was at his lowest that God was totally present for him. Though Nathaniel thought God had abandoned him, God was right there. He's in our Nazareths. He's in our brokenness. He's in our weaknesses. He's in our smallness. He's in the places where we are outcast. He's right there present. And that's what changes everything from scandal and skepticism to shock and awe. And so Nathaniel proclaims, you've got to be the king of Israel, the son of God. <laughs> and Jesus says, you think that's great? You'll see a lot greater things than these. And he says something, uh, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And you might look at that and go like, wow, that sounds kind of profound, but I have no idea what. This comes from a story, like I said, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 38, when Jacob is fleeing for his life. Now, Jacob is the father of the entire nation of Israel. He's their identity. He's the person they look back to. He is the one who is called Israel himself. He is That name change takes place years later. But at this instance, Jacob, whose name actually, did you know what Jacob's name means? Trickster, deceiver heel grabber. He was the youngest of, of twins. Esau, his older brother, was to get the birthright. He tricked his father and his brother out of it, and now he is running for his life in Genesis 38 <laughs> with nothing. And by the way, this means he is leaving the promised land. He's going back to Haran. He's trying to get out of town before he is killed by his brother. And as he leaves, he is also never going to see his mother and father alive again. By the time he comes back, they have died. And he finally is so exhausted and broken and a mess, he lays down next to a rock, probably hiding himself by that rock. And in the midst of that, God gives him a dream. And in that dream, Jacob sees some people call it a ladder. You've heard of Jacob's ladder, but it actually the word means causeway. 
And basically, it's a, a big bridge or wide enough for an entire army to march across. And this is an army of angels, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, God himself. And what this is saying is that God chooses to come to someone like Jacob and that he's going to do his business through Jacob. And Jacob should be shocked and terrified because he's a trickster. He's a nobody. He's a, he has lost everything in a sense. He is a deceiver, and yet God is going to still use him. What's more puzzling is that Nathaniel expects God's going to show up somewhere else. And God says, no, I'm right here. In the midst of your despair, in the midst of your difficulties, I'm bringing heaven and earth together. And Jesus is saying to Nathaniel at that spot, I am the one who is the causeway. I am the one who's bringing heaven and earth together. I'm the one doing heaven's business on earth in such a way it's going to happen. And yes, it's a scandal. It's me, Jesus of Nazareth, Podunksville, someone who doesn't have a crown on his head except it will be a crown of thorns, someone who doesn't have a throne except for a cross, someone who doesn't have a chariot but is one who has to walk and carry his own cross, someone who loses everything to give you a new identity. God comes right there. And in some ways, too, I think he is saying to Nathaniel, you think you're so authentic and honest? Well, you're just like Jacob. We're all just like Jacob. We're all tricksters. We're all fake. And Jesus offers to Nathaniel, decentering him from his identity and how great he is as being truthful and honest and sincere to how great Jesus is for him. He offers him a new identity right here. Like I said, decentered from himself and onto Jesus. Arthur McGill this way. Jesus does not propose a better or spiritual or religious way to secure a kind of identity which we have been seeking all along. Jesus proposes a different and an utterly contrary kind of identity. To be this new man entails the failure, the collapse, the death of our old identity by possession. So the world is always looking to try to kind of gain an identity, a reputation, a sense of self, enoughness through work, through intelligence, through status, through wealth, through where you live, through all sorts of things or trying to build ourselves up just by believing in ourselves more. That's an identity by possession, as Arthur McGill would say. Jesus gives an identity by gift, giving him self to us to be our identity, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So what has this all to do? Well, I think as we are starting now our journey in the Gospel of John with this story, I think this is the one thing I want you to take away from today, and that is when you start to get to know Jesus better, that's when you start to know yourself. Okay? Who am I is really wrapped up in whose am I. So we've got from small groups, our home huddles, 
our campus ministry, many opportunities here. Why do we focus on all those things? Because the only way I get to know myself is to get to know my Savior. And as I get to know my Savior, I start learning myself and my place in it. It's like the song that we sang at the beginning of our worship today. I am who you say I am. And so as Nathaniel was called by Jesus, not because he was great or wonderful or so authentic, but because just like the rest of humanity, we are like Jacob. We're tricksters and deceivers, and we think a lot of ourselves, but we, have an over, we overrate our own authenticity. Jesus gives us a new identity through his death and resurrection to make us new sons and daughters. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day, for this new series. Lord, you know how often we get caught up and try to gain our identity from being a part of something huge or big or significant. All of us do. You know how often we're not sure of ourselves. You know how often we place our identity in our work or our looks or our athletic abilities or our personality or our friends or our connections or our knowledge or our or our degrees, or our, 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 our status in society, or our Facebook feed, or our Instagram, or whatever, Lord God, you know what we're doing. We're always searching for who we are. That starts, that ends, when we find out whose we are, that you, Lord Jesus, have come in the lowliest of places for all of us who are broken people. We pray that you'd be working at this time, Lord Jesus, in this series, at this moment, that we can come intimately close to you and know whose we are. We lift up to you those in our, in our care and concern today that need your, your love and attention and your healing. We pray for Christopher in Michigan who um, through the radiation treatment, we've seen some progress or some reduction of the tumor in his brain, but we pray for more, Lord God. We lift up to you Kai and Rachel out in California who are also battling uh, cancer. We lift up to you Dan and Taylor, both um, going through a rough time with COVID-19 here in our midst. We pray for your healing upon them. Lord, uh, for our campus ministry this week, uh, for the outreach onto the campus, Lord, for all the opportunities you give us, I pray, Lord God, that you would just grow this fellowship as you see fit, that this is yours, that your will is done here, not ours, that our dreams, <laughs> how, how we think we're doing great things for you, Lord, is set aside, and we just see your greatness today, that our worship is really about you and not about our performance that we focus on you above all things and we grow closer to you. This we all pray, Lord Jesus. And at this time, we also, Lord, pray for those who've been watching online, that you would bless them and keep them in your care, that you would guide them into a deeper understanding and intimate relationship with you, that they, you would connect them. If they are nearby here, Lord, connect them to this body of Christ. If they are far away, that you would connect them to other Christians, Lord, in fellowship, in service and ministry together, that together we become strong. Together we find out whose we are, Lord God. We pray, Lord, too, that you would um, use our offerings that we will take in a moment, both online and in person, Lord, that you would use those offerings for your glory, 
for your work through us, both on the campus of FGCU and in our community. And that you would bless, Lord, um, our fellowship as you see fit. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.